Good morning, family. I'm going to read the scripture this morning. If you're reading in the bulletin, um, the first Corinthians passage ends at 29, but we're actually going to 32. Acts 2, 36 through 47. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word and were baptized, and, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending, the, excuse me, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. 1 Corinthians, for I received from the Lord, and I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he, he also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in, rem in remembrance of me. As for often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let, the, let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That... That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Thank you. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here. Am I on, Jason? The pastor here at Christ uh, Central Church. Um, welcome especially to the, those of you who are visiting. This is your first, second, or third, fourth maybe time here. Um, special welcome to you. And uh, as we continue in our sermon series on its explicit lyrics of the faith, today we'll go into the sacred, I would call it, inner circle of Christian ritual and take a look at the sacraments, God's elemental, sensible, touchable, feelable, 
consumable grace. And in the Protestant church, there are two that we celebrate, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Baptism by water and the Lord's Supper um, with bread or juice and wine or bread, gluten-free, right, or whatever, but you get the point. But these elements in faithful biblical ritual, right, are used by God to give, to communicate, to confer, uh, to translate real spiritual blessing from Jesus to God's people. So, yeah, we're talking about some real kind of Lord of the Rings experience a different realm, right? Some kind of Kryptonian crystal, blue or red pill, right? Enter the matrix, entering you, transdimensional, mysterious, breaks down if you explain it too much, portal of grace kind of stuff. This is as mysterious as you get when we talk about what is known to be explicit to Christianity, to believers, to the faith. And yet it is what Protestant, Presbyterian believers even, call God's ordinary means of grace. That is extraordinary, supernatural things coming through and signified and communicated through ordinary ways and means, and elements, like regular old water, like regular old wine, and bread, and juice, but nevertheless, God's elemental grace to us. Christians believe that the Bible explicitly teaches that through the sacraments, baptism and Lord's Supper, that first God signifies his special relationship with his people. And secondly, through the elements, his people, believers, let God and the world know how they feel and what they believe about him. And finally, through the sacraments, Jesus fills his people with God's real grace. Look with me at verses 36 through 39 in the Acts passage. It says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are Far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. A little background is important here. This is the first sermon post-Jesus ascending into heaven, leaving earth done by Peter, one of Jesus' close disciples. There is a celebration of Pentecost going on, and a lot of Jews from all over have journeyed to Jerusalem, the holy city. And so when Peter preaches this, it is important for you to recognize that the language of promise in verse 39 carries significant weight for the Jews that heard it. 
He is saying, right, that the sign of baptism is the sign and seal of God's promise to them. And for Jews, it means the promise he gave Abraham 3,000 years before, now picked up and brought to fruition through Jesus Christ. The promise, what? What's the promise? That he would be their God and they would be his people. And in a very real sense, then, the sign and seal of baptism replace circumcision as the new sign through Christ of God considering you and your children to be his, to be his people, his chosen people that he promises them, and then generations after them to be with them, to go with them, that he is not a stationary statue, right, or an idol that fades out when he's not popular, but the one true personal God who has relationship with his people and goes with them through time and space and and generations. And that also extends to the Lord's Supper here. Look Look at our first Corinthians passage, verses 23 through 36. It says here, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. A couple of things when he says in verse 23 that he passes on what he received from Christ, right? He's not just talking about the actual bread and wine, the use of bread and wine. He, He is saying, among other things, that Jesus did the Lord's Supper around the Jewish holy day of Passover. He did it like a father, right? Or eldest son in place of a father would do for his family in the house. He is saying, as you take this, As it was given by the Lord, he's saying God is declaring that in the bread and the wine, like Passover and eating at that point would, you are my child. You are my children, and I, God, am your father because I sent my son Jesus bodily to bodily die and raise him from the dead to be your Lord and Savior. The Lord's Supper, as you take it, is God declaring out loud that I call, that I consider, and accept you into the holy family. My dad, to, when you come to our house and eat, Oftentimes, if you're there at the cookout or the picnic or the family dinner table, or if we go out to eat and he picks up the tab most of the times, thank God for him. Sometimes he only picks up the boy's tab, right? So they get what they want. You get what you want. I'm paying for it. That's, that's dad. Howard, you get what you can afford. But he always says this especially the people who visit, you family now. Now? You family now. As now as I feed you, this is, he's saying, I can always be counted on for you. From here on out, because you've eaten at my cost and at my house, my food. You family. When we eat at the table of the Lord, 
God even more so and more trusted than my own father declares you are family. And then by saying further down in verse 26 that we proclaim the death of the Lord until his coming, he's saying more than let's have a funeral memorial every time we do the Lord's Supper. But in proclaiming the Lord's death, the apostle is saying the Lord's death is a declaration, right, of his promise that we right now, while he is not bodily present, are his. And that his blood and his broken body represented in wine and bread are a sign and seal and sensible promise and reminder of God's promised relationship to his people. That he is their God and once again they are his people and Jesus' son is their savior. His death says that. His death is a reminder of his death. We are not just remembering Jesus died. We are remembering that his death makes you and me uh, promised in some way, that we are the promised people of God. We have a couple weddings coming up in this church that I have the privilege to officiate. And if you can't tell who it is, look for the woman, not only with the big smile and extra skip in her step, possibly walking hand in hand with some strapping young lad. But she's the one with that rock on her left hand. Or for you more artistic folks, some kind of quaint or important emblem, right? Made of some special element. When people say they're getting married, this culture and even outside of the American culture, there is something that, that signifies, usually costly or precious or special, but elemental, sensible, that says, this person is reserved as mine. This person I am already promised, right? And, and promising to be with step off all of the scrubs and creeps I am taken, they are taken. See it, right? Feel it. Let the glow of that rock blind you, right? Somebody has has signified, signaled, signed what they said about me being theirs and them being with me. And it is time that I start living in that direction. I can't go on any more dates anymore, right? I'm not playing the field anymore. This rock says that, that, that I, plan like I, I plan like I'm getting married. The sacraments are the elemental precious gift of God to assure and remind and communicate and show off in and to the world around that he considers those who participate in the elements that he has made a promise to them that he plans to keep, that he considers them his and his people, that he promises to be with them now and for all eternity. So see, right? So taste, so feel, know, right? Regardless of what you believers, uh, this is good news because regardless of what you believers may be going through or even might have done that could cause hardship in your relationship with God, the meal, the supper, your baptism speak louder, you got God and the Lord God Jesus has got you and died and rose for you. And as you take the meal and remember and even re-experience your baptism as others are getting it done, be encouraged in this way. God has made a promise to you and your children and he has not defaulted on it or forgotten. And that is as real and true as the wine and bread touching your mouth and the water touching your head. 
do this in remembrance of me, but also in remembrance of how much I love you and promise to care for you and promise to never leave or forsake you. But the elemental grace of God is not just for God to express his promises and feelings and desires for his people, but for his people to in turn express their desire and love for God and their love and solidarity with their brothers and sisters in the Lord. Look again at the Acts passage, beginning at verse 35 again. Can't even read the numbers. Let's see. Wait, 35? We don't have no 35. 36. Goodness. Okay. It's the way they drew it. It's some smudginess in the print. Um, man, I need to send this Bible back to Crossway. The numbers are all smudgy. <laughs> Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do, right? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And hear this verse 39 in particular. He says, for the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God shall call to himself. Baptism right, by water, right, becomes a sign and signal for those who receive and believe the gospel message preached by Peter to declare that they, right, and their hearts have changed. And they have a desire and new love for God through Jesus Christ, that they've seen the truth, that their eyes have been opened by God. Get this, that they have been called by God. They hear the voice of God calling them to Jesus, and they say, I hear it. I believe it. I see it. Now what should I do? You should repent and be baptized. It's about their new love for God through Jesus Christ, and they and their families are now committed, right, to a holy life before God, that they love God. They love Jesus, and they, they believe God loves them, and they believe the promises of God, that they are brand new and not the same. It is telling the world that they are the people of God, the people of promise. It may not be immediately obvious or clear from the first reading that we did in our Corinthians passage, but eating, right, is special, especially during Roman Greco time, eating a meal, accepting an invitation to someone's home and accepting their hospitality meant that you were with, that you wanted, right, or had relationship with them. You didn't just go to people's house because they were throwing a meal. You went and it said something social about you. Patrons are rich Politicians would throw extravagant parties back then. And to go was to praise and align with the patron, right? And these meals were public spectacles even of who's who. So much so, get this, that people would come and just watch others eat and party as their family outing. So if you didn't have no money back then, you didn't go to Walmart and watch other, watch other people spend money. I know some, in the South, people go to Walmart as a date heard of it. Where are you going tonight? Walmart. Why? To watch other people shop. To dream. 
right, to window shop. Sometimes I do that at Ikea and Lowe's. I just go in there. I don't have no money. It's just good to see other people shop and be happy. <laughs> but that's how they would do it. And y'all are laughing. You think it's crazy. But it was their live in entertainment. Let, let, me, let me parallel it for us, right? It was the Roman Greco version of live reality te television before there was television. Y'all love to watch stars do things. We do. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes you watch a show, you're like, man, what they doing today? There's a star going to eat. Wow. <laughs> right? This is what they did. And so to go to someone's house and eat with them at their table, what said made a public, get this, a public declaration, a witness to the world who you were and where you stand and who was over you. Eating with God at the Lord's table is about believers saying, we are thankful and happy and honor our God, that our God is our patron, right? Our God is the one who feeds us. He supplies us, and we are his people, and we are unashamed of that. We are in his family, and he is our God, and his son, Jesus, is our savior, Eating at the Lord's table and baptism is a public statement to the world, to yourself, and God that you are sanctified, saved by grace through Jesus, and thus set apart in, set, setting apart yourself from the world. No longer, you're saying, I'm no longer controlled and condemned and living by sin that, that, that your life is branded with and saved by the cross of Jesus. And therefore, you promise and love to please and obey the God of the sacrament. That's why when we do the Lord's Supper, it's not a game. It's not a joke. It is declaring publicly, I am sanctified by the grace of Jesus. I come and I eat this thing seriously because I'm declaring to the world and I'm signifying to the world and myself. It, it, later in the Acts passage, it says, come from among that crooked generation. It is saying, I am not like the world. I am not like I even used to be. I now belong and eat and find my hope and my filling through the Lord God of the Bible. But there's another crucial element to the sacraments, and that's the horizontal piece. If you ever notice sacraments, if done rightly, right, are, are never private. Private communion. I know it's cute, y'all. It seems so intimate, but it can only go but so far biblically. And this is more than making a statement of your personal faith and belief, the Lord's Supper and baptism. This is about signifying, especially through the supper, that Jesus has made you a part of the family of God. And therefore, believers, right, uh, that you're a believer, united to, that you seek and desire loving relationship with other, holy relationship with other believers. Let's look back at verse 39 in Acts. Listen to what it says. And for the Jewish listener, this is going to sound like, okay, he's talking about maybe my Jewish friends who didn't make it to Pentecost, but he's talking further, like Gentiles, like people outside, right? So, so listen very carefully to verse 39. For this promise for, is for you 
and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. There's something I want you to see here. First, they're saying in baptism that we are, not, that, that, at that point, they're saying, hey guys, we're baptized because what Peter says, we are now Christian Jews, right? Jews that follow Jesus, that we roll with Peter and all of them right there in Jerusalem. But do you notice what else the sacraments baptism here and then the Lord's Supper say about believers? That they are committing and connecting themselves to all of the people God has relationship with. Thus, as verse 39 says, those who are far off that God has called to himself. What does this mean? That means those of other cultures and ethnicities and locations and countries, but also those historically to come. Sacraments are a public declaration of solidarity and communion with believers all over the world and in different denominations. All who have, do, and will believe and live according to what? Verse 36 tells us, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain, right? Here's the piece, that God has made him Lord, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. If you believe that, right, if, if your life is shaped by that, you are a brother and sister in the Lord. There's a small C and a big C church, right? Yeah. Y- y'all are part of the small C Christ Central Church, many of you who are members. Small C or, you know, Presbyterian church as in denomination. Small C, a local church in an American denomination. That's what small C means. But there is this mystical, right? Invisible, eternal, outside of time and national boundaries and denominations, church, universal, big C that you declaring and signify you're a part of when you are baptized and take the sacrament. And I, I would even push the limits on the signifying and say that those who believe become spiritually connected to the universal big C church, not just wearing the letters and holding up the sign of the so-called for eternity for eternity, right? But actually, right? Becoming one with the big C church. Hear this now. From time past. So when you read the Old Testament, right? I'm a part of the local church, Christ the church. Christ the church, you know, started back in 2003, whatever. It, It could end next year, right? But your relationship, your part of being the big C church does not change. So, so guess what? This is what it's saying because the promise is tied to Abraham, right? And what God did a long time ago. You are part of the big C church from time past, all with Adam and Eve and Moses and Abraham and Noah and all them, them up to now, right? Then, then when you die, you are actually connected to the people to come who will believe in Jesus' name. And it is why we do creeds before the Lord's Supper or baptism that come from different denominations and come from 300 A.D. and 400 A.D. and 1926 or whatever to remind you that this is not Christ's central small C church's elements or sacrament or table or baptism. This is the big C church's baptism and sacrament taking place at the small C church. 
The latest New York Times has an article on persecution of Christians in the Middle East. And it's actually the cover story in the cover story for, for this month, July, and I think it came out July 22nd or something. And, and the picture on the cover is one of a statue of Jesus. Cut in half, right? Torn up and broken apart, laying on top of, and they've cut off his fingers as a sign of not being powerful anymore. And half the head is gone. And it's laying on an ancient-looking stone table where I believe they would do the Lord's Supper. And I thought, how heart-wrenching and right. That the body of Jesus, its people suffer in the Middle East. Those who are at the tables of the Lord all over the world today eat and participate in their sufferings too. Their persecution. And they have not just been hurt. We have been hurt because we are one body of Jesus Christ. And when I read that article, I was ashamed that I didn't know what was going on in the Middle East. I even posted it on Facebook. I don't do a lot of posting. But I was moved. I'm like, wow. Okay, this is one hard piece, right? <laughs> to the whole article that these Christians from the Middle East, get, get ready, us conservative evangelical Christians with blind association with Israel, that guess what? These Christians can't flourish because they tend to support Palestine. And America won't give relief to those who are being raped and killed and hurt because of their alignment with Israel. Because Israel don't like these Christians. Where's our alignment? Who do we have communion with? I'm ashamed because I don't know. And literally, some, I, I don't care. I have not cared. We need to know. We need to pray. We need to think through what it means to be the big C church. What our communion says, what our baptism says, because when all the countries are gone and all the political parties are over and all the names of the heads of government are done in their terms, the Lord Jesus Christ will be king over a kingdom of people from all nations, all tongues, all tribes, and they will be our brothers and sisters forever. And I must challenge us, as the word does here, it's going to be hard to hear this. It was for me to think through it. What that means as a more conservative small C church, Protestant church, as we are connected through the big C churches and other denominations. You know what it tells us? The sacrament should humble us. That we not hate or get pompous and prematurely condemn those who may be our brothers and sisters in Jesus that we have a big C communion with. Oh, they're that kind of Presbyterian. Oh, they're Baptist. Oh, they're Episcopal. We know what that means. And I'm guilty. 
So often of being a jerk towards certain big churches, but, but you know, in, in certain theological convictions. And, but some of us conservative people treat others like they are not us. Or that we are not them, that we have the corner on right living and interpretation. Sort of like we don't need what the sacrament says we need, more grace. How can we say we need more grace by coming to the table and yet be so pompous and right and arrogant? That we got it all and have no problems and errors and make no real mistakes. And regardless, y'all, ready for this? Regardless of where they may stand, when to do baptism, or ordination requirements, or how much, you know, uh, politics should play into the Scripture. Even, now this is very important, especially in this time, even their stand on sexuality and marriage. And becoming mega churches, or talking about how God can give you a bigger or better car in life. They may be far off from us. And I would say, even far off from much of what the Bible says. But if they are called by God and believe that Jesus is Lord and saves them by grace, chances are. I said chances, that they are brothers and sisters in the faith. And baptism and Lord's Supper should, let me, let me tell you what it should do. It should temper, right? It should make us careful and humble us about how we talk about and even rightly correct, I would say, and argue and debate and label and feel about others who profess Jesus as their Lord and Savior. to them like they're your brothers and sisters in the Lord if they profess Christ. But let's not overlook the love called for and signified by the small C local church. Because I know how some of us are here. We, it's easy to love the big C church then love and connect with those in the small C church. Look what happens in Acts here. I'm going to read quickly. Verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Wow. Nah, church is like Target. You just go in and get what you want and you leave, Right? Wait, I once was a preacher. I was supposed to finish the word. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having faith with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. These believers left their former lives and relationships and sinful behavior behind and came together as believers to care for each other, sacrificing and caring and selling stuff and making sure those who suffered were comforted and accounted for. And hold on to that word accounted for for a minute as we look back at our Corinthians passage. Look at our Corinthians passage in verse 27. 
Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why so many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we will not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the word, world. Excuse me. You don't have this part in your reading. But people are coming to the Lord's Supper in church for selfish reasons. And we're mistreating each other. And over-treating themselves as they took the Lord's Supper. So like I said, they came to church like it was Target. And we just fellow shoppers, right? And if I get to the short line first, I win, right? If I get that last piece of thing, I win. I'm coming to church to get my knees met. Glad you're here too. Yay, nice to see you. That's what was going on in Corinth. People are coming to church selfish and leaving selfish. Oh, I had a good time in the Lord. Do you know anybody? No, but it doesn't matter. I got mine from God. Paul is saying, hey, if that's your attitude, go home and do that. Don't come to the body of Christ. This is not Walmart. This is not Target. This is not your one-stop shop for God. This is a household. And the teaching correction that Paul, Apostle Paul is giving is this. The sacraments, the Lord's Supper, is about being accountable and accounting of each other in this local body. The Lord's Supper says, I will watch and be careful and go out of my way to know and love and care for those in my church over my selfish feeling and ready all over my friends and family and life and lifestyle outside of the church. Oh, this is new. Oh, please help me here. Because I go to church for me. But my real friends are outside the church. My real life is outside church people. Because I don't like church people. How can you be a communing saint and say that? You're married to the people in this room. Whether you like it or not. I don't think we ever made that clear. To some of us, I put me in there too. But when you come to this Lord's Supper and you baptize in this church, you marry the people in the Big C Church and you fulfill those vows to the Big C Church and to Christ by how you treat each other in this local body. My best friends are out, and you say it with such pride, my best friends are outside of the church. I get more love outside that, okay, there's some serious things. Paul says we need to discipline that. We need to hold each other accountable for that. The people around the Lord's table and under the pour of water are the people that matter the most. Or should. And you need to, we need to check our behavior and love for the church. And my brothers and sisters and I need to be in a place and relationship where they can check up on me, that I can be accounted for and held accountable to live and walk in the holiness and closeness and joy of the Lord and his people that I am promised and promised and signified to do through these sacraments. You know what it makes me think about? That last question, you know, we do in that infant baptism in the cute little families over here, right? And little baby, goo, goo, ga, ga, 
making the voice and I'm making little jokes, hoping they don't cry. And I'm like, stand up. Do you promise to assist so-and-so in the raising of this kid? And we all, yeah, 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 we do. And you know what's funny? It's cute and easy when it's a baby. And I make a little joke, you know, you're going to be in the nursery if you're a member and change a little baby stinky diaper. Ha, ha, ha. And it is joyful. But do you know that is only a subset of your promise to each other? That if you stood up and said that, that if you stood up and brought your kid up here, that if you stood up and take this Lord's Supper, you are saying to the Lord, the communion says, I promise to assist my brothers and sisters in their walk with the Lord. Yes, easy for a baby, but now I'm talking adult-sized diapers, right? And we stink, and it's not the cute little kind. Let me stop there. And we want out, but communion says, sorry, you in. Ask yourself, do you know the needs and issues and struggles of anyone else but yourself and your little clique? Look across this room. I mean, and let's not, let's not make it a negative thing. The Lord's Supper, communion, and baptism give you the freedom. Let's call it freedom to go to somebody who's not like you in the small C church and say, hey, what's up, dude? I'm coming to your house for dinner. Well, let's wait, other way. Come to my house for dinner. I don't know you, but guess what? I saw you up here making vows. I saw you at the Lord's Supper. I saw you when my baby got baptized. Say, I'm going to help. It's time to help. Come on over. Does anyone else know about you but yourself and yours? And don't go off selfish on me. No one talks to me. That's crap. Okay, get over that. Is crap a bad word? Too late. (laughs) It's not one of those other bad words. It's still PG-13. We're good. That's crap. Nobody talks to me, and I'm lonely. You come up to the Lord's Supper. You've been baptized. This is about our freedom to do it, to step outside, to take a risk by faith. So don't be coming, nobody cares for me. If you come to the elders or to me or women shepherds or whoever and say, nobody really loves me, it better be a real case of mistreatment by somebody else. We take that seriously. If you go and try to love somebody and somebody mistreats you, all right, you can cry. But if it's because you didn't reach out and I hold the church responsible reaching out to other people yeah but if it's just that and you just sit down and just chill no man no you and I as believers are missing a big piece of the elemental grace of God if your outside world outside the church world is more important and more trusted and more respected and more honored and more accountable to you than the house than excuse me than those around the big C and little C baptism and Lord's Supper 
but before we go all running to do better and inviting each other to each other's house, let me prepare you. It ain't going to be easy. It's going to be a pain in so many ways. We better make sure we're doing, with the, doing it with the right fuel. For those of you who remember the Popeye the Sailor Man, anybody remember him? Not the chicken place. <laughs> I know that one real well. I don't know the spinach too good. But the Popeye the Sailor Man, the sacrament is the believer's spinach. Because through it, God gives his people the endurance and strength of his supernatural grace. Now, I want you to think about the flow of the text again, right? So they hear this message about Jesus, and they accept the gospel. And they say, they say Peter, what should we do? And he says, repent and be baptized. And then it says, wow, all these people got repented and baptized, and their families came into the church. And what does the Bible say? Incredible things happen. People start hanging out with each other, crossing barriers, living at home. 3,000 people came in, people who were starving, they fed, people who were, uh, didn't have no clothes, they clothed. And the, the Bible says people were astounded at what was going on. The stuff I just talked about that you real feel, feel real convicted about, about knowing each other, that kind of stuff was happening. But not because, hey, it's your right and responsibility, not because of some law, legal driving. Paul even says later, look at the flow, right? Jesus gives you this, the body and the blood. And then he says, now that you've received this, listen, it should change your freaking behavior, right? You got, like, like, you got to stop treating each other bad. You got to stop, you know, judge yourself, look in your heart, examine yourself. But he's not saying examine yourself because what? The law, because I told you so, or because you're in so much big trouble. He's saying these things are made possible because the grace and power of Jesus Christ really and truly are at work. The ability to come together like that, the ability to say, you know, I ain't right with you, or the ability to confront sin, the ability when someone confronts your sin, not to pop them in the mouth with your fist, is the grace of God. And God is giving us real grace through the elements to do the things, to enjoy him, to enjoy each other. Let me explain it this way. The grace of God first to Jesus so that he, we can love each other and each, love God and each other in the world and be strong here and keep believing, enjoying and praising God is like a grace engine, right? Let me be careful here. A grace cocktail, a grace supplement, a grace program, a grace paragraph, right? A grace sauce or rub or recipe. So the sacraments are simply one but very critical piece to a whole bunch of God's grace at work. So, yeah. Pastor Brown, can I be a Christian and not get baptized? Look at the thief on the cross. Okay, I, I can't say. For those of you who know the thief on the cross story, let's move beyond thief on the cross theology. Please. It's like the lowest common denominator. Hey, Jesus left the thief on the cross in heaven. He never did nothing in church. Like, okay, great, but you're not a thief on the cross. <laughs> so guess what? Can you be a Christian and, and not take the sacraments or not care for the sacraments? Yes, you just won't be a very good one. Very joyous one. A one that forgets easily 
It's like driving a car engine without oil. Can it go? Yeah. For about three minutes. Right? Just take off one cylinder. It'll be all right. Yeah, I can run a four-cylinder car with just three cylinders. Sure. But it's going to shake a lot. It might not make it. Can I put a, a barbecue sauce without the, the Q in it? Sure. Sorry, I didn't know what else to say. <laughs> Can I write a good paragraph and leave out the main sentence? Sure, but it's not going to sound right. It's going to be ignorant sounding. In the supper and baptism, God gives some of much of what believers need to survive this world. And what new believers or older believers who may find themselves anemic, acting like or caught up in some besetting issue or sin, or have forgotten just how much Jesus loves them, who are in a spiritual depression or under attack or per persecuted, who need to keep going to be kept, to keep the faith, to love the world, to love each other, and be assured and enjoying the love of God and Jesus. Get this, somehow, in the mystery of elemental grace, the faithful use of water in baptism and wine and bread and the Lord's Supper transforms it into an element for the heart of the souls of believers. Grace comes in. The love of God and Jesus by the Holy Spirit comes in and takes a hold, not because of the person doing it. I'm not the David Copperfield of communion or the special abracadabra hocus pocus words. This is not Harry Potter, but because believers are the love children of a holy and powerful God and he has found a way to feed your soul just one more way and that's a beautiful and loving thing. Therefore I say to you all sitting here listening right now what has already been clearly explicitly and elementally, elementally proclaimed almost 2,000 years ago. Because though things done change, the sacraments and the God of the sacrament who gives grace to his people through Jesus has not. So I say to you, closing, I say to you, repent and be baptized for some of you, repent and remember your baptism. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, for parents dealing with some crazy kids, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God called to himself. And I declare to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is the word of God. His elemental grace has been given to his people. Let us be faithful and gracious and conscious, right? Users of it. Let us pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you that all the sacraments are a boon, if you will, are a place or a safety net for, for our souls in very real ways because we, Lord, we haven't been living like we said we should in community and communion and aware. We thank you for the supper. We thank you for baptism, Lord, that gives us the opportunity to know once again, remind us, we can repent and you are a God who forgives. You'll never leave or forsake us. I pray for this body, Christ Central Church. Boy, Lord, we got some problems up in here. We've got distrust. We've got broken promises, Lord. We've got broken vows, Lord. We've got people not cared for well in so many situations and overlooked and forgotten. There's tension between members and ways. There's different beliefs and different things and technicalities of the faith. Lord, I pray that the grace of baptism, the grace of the supper would be used to do a miracle work here at Christ Central Church. A patient but sure work of your grace. Break the barriers between us. Between you and us because of sin, but also between us, each other, because of sin. I do pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our prayer lives to those who are not in our country, who are not in our denomination, that are not in our belief system, small c belief system. Help us, Lord, to talk to our brothers and sisters, holding them accountable, Lord, but with great humility and grace as we do it. Right now, Lord, we pray for this Lord's Supper. Let us take it with a renewed sense of what it means. And Lord, we pray that your grace would flow in and rain down on us through your Holy Spirit. Do something in the hearts of your people, something even patient and others dramatic. This we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.